We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicles. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Every week, Josh will teach you ways to help manage, risk, and protect your retirement income in the new economy. The primary focus at Aptus Wealth is to provide flexible planning strategies that can efficiently achieve your long-term retirement goals. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Before we start, I want to let you know that you can hear Josh every Monday evening at 6 p.m. with Bruce Hooley on 98.9 The Answer. It's Money Mondays. Miss Josh's visit with Bruce? Well, you can always listen to the podcast at aptuswealth.com. Join one of the webinars, free webinars about every two weeks for people to learn about some of the key concepts of retirement planning. Call 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. The website is aptuswealth.com. This week, we are featuring some of the most memorable segments from the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Here's another listener favorite from the Aptus Audio Archives. So let's start off with Social Security. Uh, what is the maximum benefit for 2020, and how should we uh, incorporate that into our retirement plan? Well, let's get with the averages first. Uh, you know, the average Social Security checks about 1500 bucks a month. Um, I think it's 1503 but but on average, let's just call it 1500 The maximum at full retirement age, which for 2020 is um, 66 in two months, is uh, about $3,000 a month, 3011 if you collect it as early as you possibly can at 62, it's $2,265 a month. And then if you wait all the way until age 70, which is the latest date that you should wait, um, it's almost $3,800 a month. So that's 3790 I believe, per month. So you get about 8% simple uh, interest between the ages of 66 and 70. Uh, one of the arguments moving forward is, is that kind of uh, increase going to continue? We'll let time tell the tale on that. But you can see that there's obviously a, a huge advantage to waiting uh, from 66 to age 70 uh, over your lifetime. And I think the real challenge, Diane, is as we're entering into this economic uncertainty and whether this you know, uh, bear market will turn into a recession, which I'm sure will come up uh, later in the conversation today. But if that occurs in a time when we have increasingly low interest rates, how will somebody fund their retirement? And and then we're have you know we have issues of longevity that are hitting us you know and I'm sure we'll end up talking about that as time goes on here too. But if we think about we're living longer, we have uh, a bad economy right now at least in the short run. Will that continue on? We don't know. And we have really low interest rates. How are we gonna do, how are we gonna achieve income for our retirement and how we're we gonna protect against longevity, which is 
consistently increasing over time. And I think what you'll find is that uh, a lot of people will continue to wait for their Social Security benefits, and research uh, is, is starting to point in that direction. The other thing to take into account when we're talking about Social Security is not only how it will affect my life, but how it will affect my spouse's life. So if you think about a married couple, and let's say my spousal benefit is $3,000 a month, and my wife's spousal benefit is $1,500 a month, should something happen to me, she only gets to collect one of the two. Now, the benefit is she gets to collect my 3000 as opposed to her 1500 but she has effectively lost $1,500 worth of income. Now, that may be a non-issue for you, or it may be uh, the straw that breaks the camel's back from a cash flow perspective in your life, so it may be advantageous for at least one of the two uh, spouses to, to wait until a later date just for protection against a surviving spouse, particularly if you have one spouse with a, a dramatically different uh, anticipation in the longevity department. Like my wife, for example, nobody in her family ever dies. They just live forever. Um, her grandfather's, you know, almost 94 years old, still going strong. Um, you know, my family, longevity doesn't run quite that long, or at least it's a, it's a mixed bag. So, you know, planning for a, a, a family, that, a, a spousal member that has a really long longevity is, uh, is important. The other thing to take into account is Social Security, at least as it stands today, uh, is taxed differently than any other income source and in that not all of it is taxed or not all of it necessarily will be taxed depending upon your outside income. So increasing the level of income that you receive out of Social Security versus other uh, income sources also could have a significant tax benefit to you. So unfortunately, you know, I know you just asked me, you know, what is the maximum benefit amount? But I think there's, I can give you the amounts, but that doesn't tell the whole story. The whole story is how does it incorporate into the rest of your plan? Should I wait um, from a cash flow perspective while we're while I'm alive, from my spousal benefit when I die? Um, how does that affect my tax uh, situation? What are my longevity uh, projections? And, you know, am I going to get the amount of money that I'm foregoing back? If I have the resources to wait, there's a lot of things that go into the decision as to whether you should collect. And it's not as simple as just saying, I'm going to retire at 65, so I'm going to collect my Social Security benefits at 65. There's, there's a lot more pieces of the puzzle that you have to take into account. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. The number to call if you have questions for Josh or you'd like to schedule an appointment or maybe you'd like to attend one of the several webinars that Josh offers on a variety of topics. The number is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300, and the website is aptuswealth.com. So, Josh, you mentioned we are living longer. That means we have to save more money for retirement, of course. What else should we be thinking about when it comes to retirement? Yeah, in particular, longevity, I think, is going to be something that is going to hit us more and more. You know, if you think about uh, when we go back to when Social Securities were created back in, 19, back in the 1930s, the average life expectancy back in the 1930s was in the 60s. So you started collecting Social Security in your 60s, and then your life expectancy was only maybe a couple of years at best. Uh, I've heard mixed stats on that. That's why I hesitate to say what it was. I've heard all the way from you started collecting Social Security at 65 and life expectancy was 63 all the way up to 67. But regardless of what the real answer was, it certainly, certainly wasn't a long life expectancy at that point. So the planning for longevity, not really that big of an issue. Now, if you're 65, you can expect to live another 20 years or 22 years or so. So the money that you have saved has to last a really long time. Why is that so important? Well, we have that uh, little thing in the, in the back there that's running behind the, behind the scenes called inflation that we can't avoid. And inflation over a couple of years is not really a big deal. But inflation over a long period of time 
is a very big deal. If you anticipate that inflation is only 3% a year, which is a little higher than it's been over the last 20 years, but easy to do the math, you need about double the amount of money 24 years from now as you do today. So if you anticipate your life expectancy being in that 20 to 25 year range, which is about average, then you're going to need twice as much money by the time you reach those last years of your life than you do today. Now, fortunately, Social Security has kept up with that pace. The downside is we have that other thing that we're, everybody's concerned about, and that is health care costs. What are health care costs going to be over the rest of time? And we hear all the time that you know Medicare, Medicaid, if you think Social Security is underfunded, Medicare and Medicaid are way more underfunded uh, at the governmental level than Social Security. So at some point, and we're already seeing it, you're going to start to see larger and larger, at least I believe, larger and larger increases um, to the costs of health care. Not that it's not already ridiculously expensive, but I think that will continue. And if you look at the average person over their lifetime of retirement, they can anticipate spending almost $300,000 just on the cost of health care. So when we do our planning in our office, we anticipate that while Social Security will more than likely keep up with the cost of living adjustments over the remainder of your life, we always plan on the cost of health care doubling that inflation rate. Uh, and it's better to err on the side of caution. And some people argue that that might not even be conservative enough. But that, again, if we if we think 3%, it goes doubles in 24 years. What does it do at 6%? Well, it, it's going to quadruple over 24 years. So I think, you know, we have some significant challenges now with us living longer uh, where you're going to start to see people, and I already see it, people working a little bit longer. Um, partially because of structure. I've had several clients that have retired multiple times and they go, you know, I got bored. So I, I go back to work and work a part-time job. You would be amazed at the impact of just part-time work. And even though it seems like a nominal amount of money, how much that adds in years down the line to your retirement income plan. So I think many people are going to be forced to do that, unfortunately, or fortunately, um, you know, add that structure back to their lives, add work back to their lives. But the key, Diane, is always coming back to planning. Make sure you have a structured, rule-based approach to make sure that you have accounted for all of these variables. And the last thing you want to have happen is now you are 85 years old and the plan wasn't accurate and we didn't do the things that we could have easily done in the beginning that have now exponentially become uh, more detrimental. So planning is always the, the, the key to this puzzle. Long-term health care, though. So that's something that people should be investing in now. I think what you're saying is long-term care plans, which pay for the costs of uh, long-term care or, or being in an assisted living or a nursing facility. And I would say those costs have been going up exponentially. I believe they'll more than likely continue to go up exponentially. We also have the baby boomer generation that at some point uh, we know that there's a, a significant chance, um, about a one in three chance to one in two chance, depending upon you know what year stat you look at, on us needing to go into a long-term care facility at some point in our lives. I think that demand, you know, supply and demand is what triggers costs. So there's going to be an increased demand. I think those costs will continue to go up. And if you try and address it when you actually need it, the costs are they're so they're so large you can't even begin to wrap your arms around them at the time. But they can be solved. If you do the planning early on, the, the key is you have to be willing to have the conversation about long-term care when you know you're not going to need it for, you know, hopefully a really long time. When you actually need it is not the time to start talking about it. So how many years before you actually think you're going to need it should you start investing it? In your 40s, in your 50s? It's a good question. Uh, you know, I think the most advantageous time is, is definitely in your, you know, 50s. 
uh, if you can start addressing it in your 50s, and there's a few ways that you can skin that cat. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go out and buy a big long-term care policy, but you certainly have to start planning. You know, there's things you can do with trust work to, to uh, address those plans. And sometimes you don't need long-term care insurance if you have the assets to cover it. Sometimes long-term care insurance really isn't a viable uh, choice for you because you simply don't have the resources. You have to, in planning, you kind of got to address these things in an approach. You know, you don't want to invest if you don't even have an emergency fund. You certainly don't want to jeopardize your retirement uh, at the cost of a one in three shot that you might need long-term care insurance. So there's, there's definitely an order of operations here. But you should start thinking about and having the conversations in your 50s and 60s for sure. And how expensive are these plans now? It depends on, obviously, on your age, much like life insurance. Uh, it depends upon your age, your health. Um, you know, fortunately for long-term care insurance policies, which are harder and harder to come by uh, in their purest form, meaning traditional long-term care insurance, they don't address mortality but morbidity. So if you have heart disease or some of these things that insurance companies would traditionally not like, um, you know, I hate to say it as bluntly as this, but if there's a good chance you're going to die young, uh, you're not going to cash in on your long-term care policy. What they're worried about is uh, morbidity, which addresses, you know, I have uh, a false hip or I have something that's going to, you know, I have a, a strong history of Alzheimer's or dementia in my family. These are the things that they're very concerned about. That will address the cost. And, you know, those costs can be a matter of, you know, $100 a month to address the issue all the way up to, you know, insurmountable or exponential amounts of money that you would never be willing to spend. But uh, based upon your situation is what you should, uh, that's how you approach it. You know, I'm, I'm uninsurable. Well, that's out the window. Let's start talking about other avenues. Or, um, you know, I'm worth $10 million. I just want to protect the $10 million. I can spend that money and I'm super healthy. Well, that's a different conversation. So it's unique to everybody. There is no blanketed statement of long-term care insurance is going to cost you $2,400 a month and everybody should start at age 58. It really is unique. Um, and, you know, I would say more often than not, long-term care insurance is not a viable option for the clients that I see. But addressing the long-term care need and having a plan outside of the insurance policy is very valuable. Uh, so we know what we're going to do and what levers we're going to pull should that event arise. Even more reason to schedule your complimentary customized planning session. Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. More from the best of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick after this. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint radio show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. This week, we're featuring some of the most memorable segments from all this year. Here's another listener favorite from the Aptus Audio Archives. 
Josh, we've talked a lot about what to do with your employer-sponsored retirement plan. If you get laid off, but what happens if they just suspend it? I think you're going to start to see this more and more, Diane, as companies uh, start to feel the pinch. If you know, we talked about just just before that you know we're starting to see a lot of bad data, and although that bad data is is certainly an issue, I don't feel like at least as I walk around, uh, you know, in northern Columbus here where I live. I don't see that it, it, it's really hit home yet on a lot of the small businesses in particular. And if uh, we don't figure out a way to come out of the other end of the tunnel on this, I think you're going to start to see a lot of those small businesses have a really, really difficult time. Not that large businesses won't, but most of those small businesses and large businesses for the most part have some sort of retirement plan. And a lot of those retirement plans have costs associated with maintaining them and also have matches. So one of the huge benefits to a 401k plan is I put in, you know, 500 bucks and my employee, my employer matches $500. Well, as these employers start to feel that crunch uh, of the markets and of just a, a decreased demand, you're going to see them looking to pinch pennies everywhere uh, so they don't have to lay people off. And you're starting to see a lot of 401k plans go by the wayside. This may sound like a very small number, but the uh, there's a, a council called the Plan Sponsor Council of America. 1.3%, uh, this is just in the first quarter, of the people that uh, were polled through that entity said that they have eliminated and or suspended their 401k plan. And that number is even higher when you look at small businesses. So you're going to have this scenario where, although you might maintain your job, uh, you might keep your job, which is obviously ideal, you may not have a place to save retirement assets because you just simply don't have a 401k plan anymore. There's a couple things you can do. Um, number one, there are other individualized retirement plans you can utilize, like an IRA, for example, which literally stands for Individual Retirement Account. So you shift what you were contributing before to your 401k. You shift that dollar amount to your IRA. Now, it's a little bit more cumbersome because when you work for an employer, you just tell them how much you want withheld from your paycheck. You don't actually have to physically do anything other than just go on some website usually and click it in. Here, you have to take the time to say, I want that money withdrawn from my personal checking account. You can automate it very similarly so you don't actually feel the money hit your account. It just kind of comes and goes. But you can put in, uh, in this, if you don't have an employer plan, uh, you can put in uh, up to the maximum uh, into that account, which does have some restrictions, remember, because if you have a 401k, you can put up to $19,000 into that account. If you have a, uh, an IRA, you can only put in uh, $6,000. So there is a less amount if you were saving 19000 You can't do as much, um, but you could do that for your spouse as well. But it is a way to save pre-tax, and that's the big, the big push here. As you can save pre-tax, save those tax dollars today, grows tax deferred, pulls out taxable just like a 401k. So you've literally built your own 401k. The other real challenge is not only will some plans be suspended, so obviously if they're suspended, you can no longer contribute to them. So you start your own IRA, you continue to, to contribute to that IRA, and your assets stay in your old 401k if you want them to. You can obviously roll that to your own IRA. But you could theoretically leave them if the plan is just suspended. But what if they terminate your plan altogether? you may not have the option of leaving those funds in that 401k. So your timetable just got accelerated quite dramatically. Now you have to do something with it, and you can do the exact same thing. You can roll those monies into your own IRA, which is something we do all the time but can be challenging. What are the costs of that IRA? What are the investment options available inside of that IRA? What are the upsides, the downsides? What are There's a lot of questions you need to answer. It's not something you should jump into. You should certainly do a lot of research or consult somebody like uh, like myself to make sure that you know what your choices are. But there are still options. 
the real big uh, issue here is do not quit saving. If you have, and that's one, I know it seems odd, but it happens all the time because it is a little bit of a cumbersome process to go and actually, uh, you know, change things up, uh, particularly during these times. But now is going to be arguably some of the best times to invest in the stock market over the next couple of years. You don't want to lose that couple of years or, or six months or a year funding towards your retirement. It can really throw you off track. One year now could be worth two or three years of retirement later. Do you see companies, I can understand them not matching anymore, but there are actually some that are just completely getting rid of their 401ks altogether. There are, and the reason for that is there's administration costs to the employer to maintain a 401k. Uh, every 401k has to have something called a third-party administrator or a TPA. And the purpose of that third-party administrator is to make sure that the 401k is uh, following all the guidelines that are required by federal law, meaning you don't have your uh, highly compensated employees uh, you know, getting too much benefit out of the 401k versus uh, all of the rest of the employees of the company. Um, is that, you know, one of the risks of a 401k obviously is, uh, you know, is it, is my money really there? You know, if you're an employee, you want to make sure that, okay, I'm saving this money, but I want to make sure my employee, my employer isn't just somehow squandering this money away into a side account. I want to make sure that this is actually in the up and up. So a third party administrator is, 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 almost like a, a, a trusted entity to make sure that we're following the laws and that my money is where they say it is. So they're pretty important, but there's a cost associated, obviously, with that. So not only does the employer have a cost in matching, but the employer actually has a cost in having the plan altogether. And those costs can be nominal, you know, a few thousand dollars a year for a very, very small company, all the way up into very, very expensive. So it's another area for them to cut costs. So yeah, we're seeing it. You were talking about the traditional IRA and the Roth IRA. Can a person contribute to to both or does it have to be one or the other? No, they have to pick. Um, and there's benefits to both. And you shouldn't take that decision just haphazardly. Meaning that Roth IRA's huge benefit, I know we've talked about this in previous shows, the huge benefit of the Roth IRA is all the gains inside of the contract are completely tax-free for the rest of your life. There's no minimum required distributions. There's just a host of reasons why Roth IRAs are arguably one of the best sections of the U.S. tax code. That said, they really shine uh, based upon how much time you're invested in them and also based upon what tax bracket you're in today and what tax bracket you think you'll be in later. So uh, many times it is more advantageous to actually invest into a traditional IRA than a Roth IRA, and many times vice versa. So you have to make that decision, but you cannot do both. One thing you can do, though, is if you are married and, you know, let's say you were saving uh, $12,000 a year into your 401k and you go, man, this stinks. Um, I'm, you know, no longer allowed to contribute to my 401k and I would have really liked to put $12,000 in. Even if your spouse does not work, as long as you have the earned income to justify it, you can open up an IRA for both you and your spouse. So you can kind of double dip it even in single uh, income households. So there are options there, but some consideration does need to be made and whether or not you should be doing the Roth option or the traditional option. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. The number to call if you have questions for Josh or you'd like to schedule an appointment or maybe you'd like to attend one of the several webinars that Josh offers on a variety of topics. The number is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. And the website is aptuswealth.com. Josh, with a great many investment portfolios down a good 15 percent or more or so. What advice can you give retirees to help them make up for that lost source of income? Well, obviously, you know, there's a lot of things that we can do. Uh, one being just live on less money, but that's not a very favorable one. Um, but typically, there's a couple different ways on how you can derive retirement income. 
And a lot of this depends on where you start um, and how you start with drawing income. For example, there's two theories. Uh, one being, and this is put out by uh, the American College of Retirement Income, one is I start pulling out 4%. If I start pulling out 4% of my portfolio, I can pull out that level 4% for the rest of my life and basically ignore the changes of the uh, portfolio, meaning portfolio goes up 20%, goes down 20%. I look at what it was to start, let's say at a million dollars, I pull out $40,000 a year, I adjust it for inflation every year, but I just keep it at 40 adjusted for inflation for the rest of my life. That's at 4%. The other theory is, uh, I start at four and a half percent. So I'm pulling out a little bit more money every year, but then you have to adjust it based upon how, uh, based on portfolio drops. So for example, let's say the portfolio drops 15%. I started four and a half percent. I have to ratchet that back 15% with the drop. So a lot of this depends, Diane, on where you started, right? If you started at a very low withdrawal rate, let's say you're only pulling out two or 3% of your assets, then this drop really, you don't need to adjust for it at all. You just keep on living the way you've been living. But if you were very aggressive and you were pulling out 5 or maybe even 6% of your portfolio along the way, then you probably need to make some concessions or you're really jeopardizing the long-term uh, success of, of your plan, or, or at least you're, you're minimizing the risk of it running out of money. Obviously, all of this is hinged upon how you're invested. But create a retirement income plan, number one. Actually sit down and make sure that your plan is viable moving forward. Were you on track before or did you just make a haphazard decision? Because at the beginning of this, I started talking about, you know, some very basic financial planning um, rules to live by, but that doesn't mean that it applies to your scenario. Is there something down the line that is going to reduce your income draw? Uh, is there something down the line that's going to increase your income draw? Now's a great time to reevaluate and create a retirement income plan. The other one, and I talked about this earlier, regardless of where your portfolio was, did you have enough money in fixed assets to weather the storm? In other words, every client that I have, the vast majority of their income uh, comes from assets that do not fluctuate the same way the overall market fluctuates. So we're not as worried about short-term fluctuations. We're worried about, about long-term rates of return. So where were you drawing your income from? Was it a risky play to begin with? Should I have added more stability to my portfolio a long time ago? And should I do it now, now that I have the opportunity and reevaluate? Have I been paying too much in fees? You know, these are all things that you should reevaluate. I see a lot of people that when they come in, they're just paying an exorbitant amount in fees. And fees are literally just coming right out of your pocket. If you're paying three, two, three percent in fees every year, let's figure out a way to lower the fees. Uh, that's money that goes back into your pocket. What about tax rates? Where are you drawing your money from? Is there a way that we can increase your income by taking some of that income from a source that isn't taxed the same way as maybe the one you were drawing from, which means we have to pull out less money? Because it's not how much you have and how much income you derive. It's how much you get to keep after the tax man comes through. So let's reevaluate everything and create a plan that's viable for the long run. This is a very, it's a significant, but it's a very common gyration in the market. Uh, I promise you over the next... 10 to 20 years, we're going to have another, I don't know what it's going to be. It's not going to be the coronavirus, but it's going to be something. Um, hopefully it's not the coronavirus, but it's going to be something. And now's a great time to balance your portfolio in a way or balance your retirement income plan in a way that you're prepared for these types of things. So my advice, Diane, unfortunately, I can't give a blanketed statement of do this one thing, but I can give a blanketed statement of now is a tremendous time to reevaluate and make sure that your income is coming in as low taxed as possible, as secure as possible and that these short-term gyrations are not going to affect your long-term plan. So do some planning today.
And go through the Aptis Retirement Blueprint process with Josh to schedule your complimentary customized planning session. Give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. The website is aptuswealth.com, spelled A-P-T-U-S wealth.com. More from the best of the Aptis Retirement Blueprint radio show with Josh Pick after this. We'll be back with more at the Aptis Retirement Blueprint show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. Thanks for listening to the Aptis Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. This is the Aptis Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. This week we're featuring some of the most memorable segments from all this year. Here's another listener favorite from the Aptis Audio Archives. It's a tough topic, the loss of a spouse. And Josh, what kind of advice can you give us to help prepare our retirement for that? Well, I think number one, um, and I think, man, we're really reaching back here, but I think the first show we ever did, Diane, uh, we talked about kind of one of the reasons that I got into the business, and it was my father passed away uh, rather young. He was only 40. I was uh, just a teenager at the time. And I saw this firsthand. I saw how does you know a grieving spouse deal with uh that loss, and particularly when the spouse was not the financial person of the household. Um, so, you know, my mother was left with decisions to be made that she never had to make before. Um, it was one of those types of uh, scenarios, which was very common at the time, I'm sure of, you know, my dad took care of all the finance stuff. So my mom didn't do any of that stuff. So now she's left with raising two kids, dealing with the loss of her spouse, and also making decisions that she never even considered before. So my first uh, answer to that is take your time. Don't rush into anything and don't listen necessarily to the first person that you talk to. But all of that being said, you do have to do some things. You have to get some wheels in motion. Um, first step, obviously gather all the documents. So get everything together. Take a financial inventory of everything that you have. And one thing that I tell all my clients is, particularly in today's day and age of everything being online, um, we get electronic statements for everything, uh, very little comes in the mail via paper, is you should do this today if you're in a relation, if you're, if you're married, you have kids or not, it really doesn't matter actually, but make sure you have a place that somebody knows where you have everything at least line itemed out. Uh, I had a client, this is going back several years, but... Um, you know, the guy, divorced, uh, guy had one child and he had everything sent to him electronic. Nobody knew what his passwords were. Nobody knew anything. Nobody had any way of accessing it. It took us over a year just to find out where everything was, um, because I didn't manage all of the assets. So while I knew where everything was on my end, we had another, it was a large sum of money that we, it took us forever to find. So make sure you have somewhere where that information is documented that should something happen to me, you know, break the glass in the, in the case of an emergency and open this up so we, at least we know where everything is. So find that. If it's not there, you're going to have to take inventory on your own. Um, so it's important that as we're going through the retirement planning process or just financial planning in general, keep good records and take inventory. Next, insurance policies, annuities, Whatever it is, you need to start changing the ownership or making claims. So 
uh, call the insurance company, let them know this person has passed away. What is the process for beginning that claim? And I'll give you a heads up, just insurance companies uh, on this, although insurance is great to have, life insurance obviously is hypercritical in times like these, particularly with young families. It does take time. Uh, plan on it taking, you know, two, three, four weeks before you actually get the money. So you don't want to wait until, oh man, I guess I, I guess I should start filing these claims because the checking account's getting low. You need to do it sooner rather than later. And it is a process. Uh, they'll send you out a packet and you have to go through it. Same thing applies with, you know, 401k at work, IRAs, et cetera. You want to start changing the ownership of those things. And you have some decisions to make that you don't need, you can't take lightly on some of this stuff. Like, for example, let's say you had an annuity contract and it had it has choices. Do I want to take it over as a spouse? Do I want to take a lump sum? Do I want to take a benefit for the rest of my life? Um, I, you know, there's these things called non-qualified stretches. What, what the heck is that? Would that benefit me? It can get complicated, but these decisions once made, they're now made and they're yours for good. And the decisions have to be made many times, you know, within six to 12 months of the passing of your spouse. So unfortunately I say in one breath, I say, take your time. In another breath, I say, you got to get moving. Um, I guess I don't want you to ask, act hastily, but you do need to start take steps, taking steps moving forward. And then the big question, Diane, is what do I do with the money uh, after that? And, you know, particularly if you were the spouse that did not handle the finances or finances are not your ballywick, sometimes, you know, if you're, let's say, 40 years old and you inherit a million dollars, it sounds like an amount of money that I could never run out. Um, you know, I, I just went from, uh, you know, just conceptually, we were living on $60,000 a year and now I have a million dollars. I should be good. I can go do a lot of stuff. And while you are probably pretty good with, with a large sum of money like that. If, if those were the numbers that we were dealing with in the long run, it does not mean that you can just carte blanche, start spending money. You have to start allocating these dollars to what the future needs are, whether that's college, retirement, um, purchase of a home, all the things that we normally do with uh, retirement income planning. The problem is emotions can get in the way. And I've, I've seen this firsthand and I, I, I don't take it lightly, but uh, you need to have uh, somebody in your corner that's being pragmatic, that's being logical, and that's keeping you set on some sort of path. Because in that time of, I'm sure you know of scenarios like this, in that time of huge distress is not the time to be making really, really large financial decisions. It just isn't. So certainly uh, find somebody that can help you out that you trust, but don't necessarily just start making rash decisions and then allocate where the money should go and uh, move forward. Has the SECURE Act changed anything? So I understand with tax purposes, some people might, a spouse might want to refuse or disclaim assets. Yeah, the CARE Act has changed some things. Uh, you know, you don't have as much time as you had before to, you know, before the CARE Act, let me step back. Before the CARE Act, you could, if you could take a, uh, essentially, you could take payout over these assets over the rest of your life and kind of kick the can on the, taxation of the assets. Now, if you're a if you're a spouse, you can still you can still do that. You spousally endorse the IRA. However, if you're not a spouse, uh domestic partnership, uh, a parent uh, was the one that passed. You no longer have that amount of time. So if you're trying to kick the can on the taxation piece of it, which is I believe what you're asking me, you're on a more limited time crunch now. You only have a a, a smaller window of 10 years to take all the assets and dump them. Uh, so it has changed the game. Um, while it's benefited us in some capacity, it's also 
uh, kind of made the tax uh, issue a little bit more difficult to deal with. Again, another reason why if this is not your thing and you are not completely comfortable with what I should be doing, it can make a very, very, very dramatic difference as to how much taxes you pay uh, and how your assets grow. And here's a perfect example. If you don't understand investing at all and you take this on your on yourself and this has not been your thing, there's something called the Rule of 72, which I, I harp on a lot. Um, but the Rule of 72 simply states that you take 72, you divide it by the interest rate that you think you're going to receive, and it tells you how much, how long money will take to double. So if you're getting a 7.2% 7 7 rate of return, it takes 10 years to double your money. Well, if you make a rash decision and you only get a 3.5% rate of return versus a 7% rate of return, think about doubling your money in twice the amount of time. I mean, we could be talking about, hey, I inherited $100,000, I invested it poorly, and it cost me $500,000 down the line, not just the little bit of gain the first year. I mean, it's a dramatic, dramatic difference. So get somebody in your corner who you trust um, that can help you navigate the complicated waters of uh, both taxes and just the labyrinth of, you know, I've been doing this for over 20 years, and just filling out the claim paperwork can be really cumbersome and confusing, and everybody's paperwork is different. So it can be overwhelming. Get somebody in your corner. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. The number to call if you have questions for Josh or you'd like to schedule an appointment, or maybe you'd like to attend one of the several webinars that Josh offers on a variety of topics, the number is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300, and the website is aptuswealth.com. Josh, I came across an article that talked about the difference between payout rates of fixed annuities compared to investment portfolio distributions. Is this something we even need to look at? Well, first, let's say what it is. And it's important when we talk about all these types of things to remember where the article is coming from, right? I mean, we have such an, we're inundated with so much information on a daily basis. We read it, it's written well, so we automatically assume that it's giving us all the facts, which in reality, it's not. For example, uh, I see the argument on both sides between payout rates of fixed annuities and investment portfolio distributions as one being better than the other. And then they'll give you, a, a whoever the author of that particular article is, will give you the reasons to point you in the direction of whatever they're trying to lead you to, right? But here's the issue. So fixed annuities in general, and if we're talking about fixed annuities, we're usually talking about immediate annuities and the purpose of these articles the payout rate will be significantly higher. In other words, uh, we look at a portfolio of stocks and bonds, and I just got done saying earlier today, you should stick to around 4% as a withdrawal rate. Well, if I look at it, I have a million dollars and 4% as a withdrawal rate is only $40,000. And then I go, well, what if I just take a million dollars and I buy a median annuity? And they say, well, we'll pay you $60,000 a year. You go, well, that 60 is a lot better than 40, right? With one problem. And the problem is the annuity, in most instances, there are exceptions but in most instances are not adjusted for inflation. So that 4% number that I gave you on the overall portfolio stocks and bonds does take into account an adjustment for inflation. Well, let's go back to that old rule of 72, and uh, let's assume that we're using a 3% inflation rate. That means money will double every 24 years. So if you retire when you're 65, by the time you're less than 90, but let's just say 90, by the time you're 90, you're going to need twice as much money to live the same way. So if you started at 60... That sounds great. The other one started at 40. Well, I'll have 80,000 a year out of one and the other 60. 
Now, you might still go with the 60 because you go, that's still, where's my break-even point? Obviously, I'm using just fictional numbers here. The, the separation between the two would not be that great. Um, so don't think that you start with 40 in one and 60 in the other. This is just a generic example. But uh, one is called a nominal rate of return. That's the annuity. Nominal meaning not adjusted for inflation, not real dollars. The other one's real, uh, real income, which is inflation adjusted. So it's important to note the difference between the two. And it's obviously clearly important that we're adjusting for inflation. I mean, milk is not going to be the same price today or 25 years from now as it is today, and neither will everything else. Healthcare being the big wild card. So you have to have some sort of inflation adjustment built into your portfolio. Now, I said that that's the case with most. There are some annuities out there, albeit uh, they're anomalies, that do uh, adjust for inflation, some of them adequately, some of them unbelievably. Um, so they're not all created equal. I'm not bashing annuities by any uh, stretch of the imagination in my estimation actually I think you need both of them and I you know I'm not alone in that that uh, that opinion but you should have more than one income source uh, and you should have uh, both stocks bonds and annuities in your portfolio and you should pick the right one of each of those obviously not all stocks are created equal either so just to explain you know which one's better which one's worse there isn't one that's better or one that's worse they just work differently and you need to understand how that affects your particular situation and you're going to go through this with your clients when you do the Aptus Retirement Blueprint process with them. And to schedule yours, your customized planning session, you can give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That number is 614-364-7300. More from the best of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint radio show with Josh Pick after this. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Peck. This week, we're featuring some of the most memorable segments from all this year. Here's another listener favorite from the Aptus Audio Archives. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh, what kind of investments should we be looking at right now in these, in these uncertain times? Well, first, I think disclaimer, you know, everybody's in different periods of their life. So what investment makes the most sense for you depends on where you are and what stage of your life and what resources you have. Um, You know, some people don't have the resources to even invest in the stock market. Who would those people be? Well, if you don't have an emergency fund to weather a storm, that's step one. Uh, I get I get calls a lot from particularly uh, children of, of clients that I have that might be in their early 20s, mid 20s, sometimes, you know, into their 30s. And they say, you know, I, I've saved up $2,000. I'd like to invest it in the stock market. Where do you think I should put it? And my first question is always the same. Do you have an emergency fund? Well, no, this is it. Well, then you shouldn't be in the stock market at all. 
need to make sure you have, again, to weather the storm, you need to have enough emergency capital to, do, to, to weather that storm. You don't want to be dipping into your stock investments during a time like this because they're already pulled back. So you want to have another, another avenue. I know it's not as, as sexy or fun to have you know, $5,000 sitting in a cash account earning essentially nothing, but it is essential. It might not be exciting, but it, it's necessary. So number one, if you don't have an emergency fund, regardless of where the stock market is, build one up. That's step one. You need to address that. Uh, step two, and we'll kind of coast over this, but um, do you have insurance? If you have a family, uh, you know, it's, it's something that we don't like talking about, but if you think this is bad, what would happen to your family if something happened to you? So step two is, again, defensive position. Let's address life insurance, disability insurance, all the just what ifs in life. So that's step two of any planning process. Step three, you should definitely be investing in your 401k up to the match. So if you're not doing that already and you have the financial wherewithal to do it, certainly do it. That is literally a 100% rate of return potentially right out of the gate. If your company has a dollar for dollar match up to 5% and you're only putting in 3%, you're literally leaving a 100% rate of return on the next 2% on, uh, off the books. Even if you just put the money in the money market account inside of your 401k, Always figure out a way, if at all possible, to invest up to the match. To get that free money. For sure. You know, I, I, I used to do some uh, educational type uh, workshops at, at employers, and employers, I think, kind of got upset about this. But even if you put the money in the 401k and then pulled the money out at the end of the year and paid the 10% penalty and paid the taxes on it, you're better off. You give yourself a raise by these 401k matches, which is why you're seeing... A lot of employers in the midst of all of this, you know, economic turmoil of the COVID-19 uh, issue is they're starting to pull back their matches, in some cases, their 401ks altogether. But that's step two. Invest in your 401k at least up to the match. Now, whether or not you invest in the Roth option or the traditional option, Roth being, you know, tax-free in the long run but doesn't benefit you from a tax perspective today, or the traditional plan, which benefits you from a tax perspective today, but is taxable later depends upon your situation. If you're a high income earner um, and you're in your mid 50s, 60 years old, certainly put it in the traditional version um, and take the tax benefit today in most instances. And I'm generalizing here. If you're 25 years old, Roth all day long, the amount of compounding and tax free income that you're going to get in the long run is it's the best line in the tax code that I think there is from a long-term investing perspective. So go Roth, but either way, invest money in your 401k. That's the easiest way to do it. It's a very uh, fee economical way to do it. And you get a lot of bang for your buck. If you have a match. Now, I think the other Avenue though, is do I like the investment options and do they meet with my objectives inside of my 401k? So let's say I've already hit the match. And now I've decided that, well, I'm 60 years old. My 401k only has aggressive growth funds in it or something like that. You may want to look outside of that. Or for whatever reason, you might want to look outside of that. Or you've already maxed out your 401k and you're looking for other places to save beyond that. Another great tax advantage way would be a traditional or Roth IRA. So you can, uh, the benefit to doing a traditional or Roth IRA is you can invest in whatever you want. So you could, uh, you know, you can put it in annuity contracts. You can put it in literally a money market account if you want no risk and liquidity. There's a lot of things that you can do there. The universe is, is, is literally wide open to you once you go that direction. If you get past that 
and now you've 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 got your family covered with insurance, your emergency fund is bolstered, you've maxed out your 401k, you're contributing to an IRA and you want to do more than that. Well, now you can get into the brokerage accounts, et cetera. There's huge advantages to that because you can put the money in, take it out anytime you want without penalty. So typically brokerage accounts are more advantageous if you have some sort of shorter term goal, meaning that even if you don't max out your 401k, but you say, you know, 10 years from now, I want to have money for my kid's college or something like that. Well, a 401k isn't the best use of funds there. You would want to do it in a traditional brokerage account or some sort of college plan like a 529, et cetera. So there's a bunch of different vehicles that you can go to, but the steps are the same. Protect your family, protect your income, uh, have an emergency fund, then definitely go up to the match. And then everything after that is becomes more debatable and it depends upon what your goals are, but knock those first three out no matter what, if you can. You're saying that employers, a lot of people are cutting their matches to the 401k. So we should be investing in our own IRAs, whether it be traditional or Roth. It depends. But yes, yeah, I'm seeing a lot of cutting of matching and a lot of cutting just purely of 401ks. If they're cutting the matching, obviously you can continue to invest in your 401k. The question is, where do you invest in your 401k? And that's where folks like I come into play. Make sure that you're investing in the right spots and you have a rule-based approach and a plan to make sure you're, you're heading in the right direction. But you could still contribute to your 401k. It just doesn't have the match, so it's, it's not quite as powerful as it was before, but you still get the tax benefits. You still get the ease of being able to pull it directly out of your paycheck. But um, if your employer has completely eliminated your 401k, which I'm seeing shockingly more and more often, and I think you'll see more and more often as this continues to drag on. Hopefully it doesn't, but if it does, I think you'll see more employers doing this. Then you're left holding the bag on your own. And you should definitely, to try and reduce your taxable income and plan for long-term retirement uh, needs, you should use IRAs, whether Roth or traditional, depends on your scenario, but you should definitely do that. And you can do that. You can create your own, your own retirement plan. What about self-employed and SEPs? Yeah, good question. So if you're self-employed, there's a couple of different avenues that you can go. If you have employees and you're a small business and you want to offer a retirement plan and, and offer that match, then you can do a simple plan. It's like a 401k, but it has no administration costs, but you have to match inside of a simple plan. But I think what you were asking about is what if I'm self-employed, I'm a realtor, I'm a, uh, you know, maybe I'm a mechanic working 1099 or whatever that, that the scenario is, but you are your own self-employed person with no employees, then the easiest approach is by far a SEP IRA, which SEP stands for self-employed persons um, IRA. It works just like a traditional IRA, but you can put more money into it. One of the restrictions of the traditional IRA is you can't put near as much into it as you can, depending upon your age, six or 7,000 bucks, but you can't put near as much as you could into a 401k, which is, you know, gets up into the, the teens. And if you're older, you can get up into the 20s, uh, $24,500, I believe. With a SEP, you can start reaching those levels even more depending upon your income with no costs associated whatsoever, and you reduce your taxable income. So there's a lot of vehicles out there that you can create your own retirement quasi-401k plan with, even if your employer gets rid of yours. And the difference uh, between you know a traditional IRA and 401k, which is, like you said, six or 7,000, you can, in a SEP, you can invest... 20,000 or more. I know there's a limit. I don't know the specific amount, but it's You can go all the way up and over Yeah, you can go all the way up over over $50,000. It's limited, I believe this year and, and don't quote me on this, but I believe this year it's at 57,000. They they change it from year to year, but it's based upon $25,000 or 25% of your earnings. So if you make $200,000 on your on your 
uh, gross income, you can put $50,000 into a SEP. So the number really starts climbing. Uh, obviously, if you can afford to do that, do it. Um, but it's, it's, I think the, the, the key piece here, Diane, is when I, when I talk to people that are in this scenario, they go, oh, you know, my, my 401k is gone, so I, I guess I'm just going to have to save money at the bank or something like that. There are a lot of resources out there and a lot of plans that are available to you that don't cost anything or, and are just as easy to set up as going to the bank and setting up a savings account. You can literally go to a TD Ameritrade or a Vanguard and just say, oh, I want to open up an IRA. And it's a very seamless, easy process, and you can access the world of investments uh, is right at your fingertips. It's it's really, really easy and very tax advantageous to do so. I love the Roth IRAs and the fact that it's uh, you don't have taxes when you withdraw from that. Is there a SEP version or a SEP more or less traditional IRA? You know, there's, there's 401k versions, but uh, to my knowledge, there's not a SEP version yet. Um, I, I wouldn't doubt that perhaps that'll happen in the long run if it hasn't even already, but I, I've yet to encounter anybody that's in that, that income category that's wanted to do one. But uh, the Roth uh, tax code, particularly for younger folks, and if you believe that taxes are going are gonna to go up significantly in the future, getting as much money into that Roth is a huge advantage. Now, you don't want to do that at the cost of, you know, I'm currently in a 12% bracket. I'm going to pull a bunch of money out of my Roth IRA and climb myself all the way up or out of my traditional IRA to convert, climb myself all the way up into the 35% bracket to move over, even knowing that in retirement, I'll probably never climb out of the 22% bracket. Well, that doesn't make sense. You certainly don't want to convert money at 37% to save yourself from 22. But knowing that you never have minimum required distributions, that, that income never affects the taxation on your Social Security benefits, at least according to today's tax code, there are huge, huge advantages to a Roth IRA. The question is, does it make sense for you? And again, like we talked about just earlier today, the easiest way to figure out the answer to that is not to search the highs and lows of Internet, not knowing uh, who came up with those calculators and whether or not they make sense for you. It's meet with a fiduciary meet with an investment advisor. It is the quickest crash course in crunching numbers and figuring out if it makes sense for you. At least in my office, that by no means uh, states that you have to work with us, but it does show the value and it's a very quick abridged process on trying to get the right information because we're always going to give you the information that's in your best interest because that's the way we're regulated to do so. So even if you if you found a fiduciary that was maybe not, in general, wouldn't have your best interests in mind, they simply have to or they'll lose their license. Very easy way to get the information and get the right information. I'm going to give out the number one more time because I'm sure those listening have questions. You can give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Thank you so much for listening to this week's edition of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Again, to learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy and to schedule your complimentary customized planning session, the number to call is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with host Josh Pick. Josh helps guide his clients through retirement by managing risk instead of chasing returns. He calls it a blueprint, and you can get started at no cost or obligation. Give the team at Aptus Wealth a call today to schedule your consultation at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300 or online at aptuswealth.com. That's A-P-T-U-S wealth.com. 
To learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy, join us again next weekend right here at 98.9 The Answer. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability 